Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, December 9th. This week, Canada's big city mayors met in Ottawa, including our own Jyoti Gondek. We catch up with the mayor for details on what was talked about at the annual caucus. According to a recent article in SprawlCalgary.com, Calgary Transit's recent issues when it comes to passenger safety is just the tip of the iceberg. We catch up with Jeremy Clausus, editor-in-chief for The Sprawl, who points to major issues with our transit system beginning years ago. WNBA superstar Brittany Griner is back on U.S. soil as of Friday after a controversial prisoner exchange with Russia. We get details on the politics behind the move with Jennifer Johnson, Global News Washington correspondent. And finally, tis the season of giving and the spirit of giving is alive and well at Calgary's downtown Hyatt Hotel. We get the scoop on how you can lend a hand and make a difference this Christmas for less fortunate Calgarians. Well, 23 of Canada's biggest cities were represented in this year's Big City Mayor's Caucus in Ottawa. So what was on the table besides dinner? Joining us to talk about it, Mayor Jyoti Gondek. Good morning to you, Madam Mayor. Good morning, Sue and Andy. How are you? Excellent. Thank you. Welcome back from the conference, the caucus. So what was the focus? Can you tell a little, about, uh, a little bit about it, what was kind of talked about and, and maybe ultimately decided upon? I can indeed. It was um, very compelling to be able to go to the federal government as a united group of big cities saying that it's actually the integration of um, ways to resolve homelessness, mental health and addictions and poverty that would help our cities go into a recovery process. And the fact that we have to talk to different departments and different ministers to try to get the funding and the access to programs is incredibly frustrating. So having all of us in the same room, meeting with ministers and the prime minister was a very good way to move our agenda forward. It's got to be really interesting because, you know, you got these cities, we're all Canadian, uh, but, uh, you know, whereas there are probably a lot of commonalities, a lot of individual issues as well. So that, that dynamic's got to be interesting to, to have these conversations among your counterparts. It is interesting, and it's, I guess I would compare it to council, where we have different things that are impacting our wards, but overall there's a city that we serve, and that common bond to serve Canadians to the best of our ability by partnering with each order of government, uh, including First Nations and Métis regional governments, that was really a big focus of this caucus, and we sent a very united message, which is always important. And the Prime Minister was, was physically there with you, right? Yes, he spent about an hour with us. Um, the question that I was able to pose is, you know, we've made commitments to net zero, but how is the federal government going to help us? And particularly in Calgary, where we are leaders in energy transformation, how will your government come and speak with our businesses and our government to really understand how we move forward? So it was a good conversation, good opportunity. Politically, when we talk provincial politics, the Sovereign Alberta Act within the United Canada uh, packed, uh, passed rather within the wee hours of Thursday morning. You've had a chance to look at it. Uh, what's your reaction? I know you issued a statement, but if you can give us uh, your words on it. Yeah, I've, I'm actually quite thankful that uh, the Minister of Municipal Affairs did take the time to chat with me about the act and the way she thought it would be useful for Albertans. And I completely appreciate her perspective. More than that, I appreciate the engagement. Um, my frustration continues to be that there is a provision in this act that says the provincial government can dictate that provincial bodies, which includes municipal councils, police services, school boards, universities, health organizations, it can direct them to defy federal legislation. That puts us in a terrible position, especially when you consider that we may have to break a federal law to align with provincial. 
there are some people who, you know, we've had lots of texts in uh, from both sides of whether you agree with this sovereign Alberta within a United Canada Act or not. A lot of people think, hey, give it, give it a little time. Let's see what can be done with it. But to you, does it, you know, your thoughts, your, do you have concerns with it in, in terms of it sort of being a way to pick a fight with Ottawa and just make things, you know, I know the ultimate goal from the premier is to make things better, but does this feel like this is maybe a, a negative way to go at it? You know, here's what I think. I think the Premier is trying to send a strong signal, and this is one way to do it. And obviously, we have to see what comes now that it's been passed. Um, I would say, though, that we have a very good opportunity to work with a federal government that's willing to listen to us. That is what I heard while I was in Ottawa. We're willing to listen to you. We want to be partners. The Prime Minister probably stressed four or five times in the space of an hour that he wanted to make sure that provincial governments were partners at the table on decision-making. So we'll see what happens. We will see what happens. Hey, looking at the calendar, it is the 9th of December, and something we've been talking about this morning on Mornings with Sue and Andy, uh, Madam Mayor, is traditions. And that tradition, Christmas cards. We are wondering, we put it out there for listeners, is this a, a tradition that's going to be extinct at some point? Uh, do you still write Christmas cards? Do you like receiving Christmas cards? You know, I used to be the biggest Christmas card fan, and I would do up the family photo, you know, make sure the dog was in it, too, and did all of that. I kind of started running out of time uh, to do those things when I took on different roles in my life. And now I find that more and more of my friends are actually calling on Christmas Day instead of just using the cards. So I'm pretty excited that I'm getting phone calls. Um, more people are having open houses for Christmas, so I think a return to that would be lovely. I kind of like it too that we were talking about that that you know people send a text on Christmas morning yeah. and I kind of like that I like getting yeah. that little message popping up and thinking oh you know oh nice I like to hear hear from you and thank you for that is there a, a big tradition that you and your family do and and will be doing this Christmas mayor that uh, maybe you want to share maybe the rest of us can steal it because it's a great idea well my husband bought us snowshoes for Christmas a few years ago and so we try to go every year and it seems that since he bought them for us, the snow's been sparse, but I think this year we might be okay. <laughs> I love it. I love that. What a great workout, too, yeah. because you're going to be having some holiday treats, strap yeah. on the snowshoes, and you're good to go. Exactly. I like that. Thanks so much, uh, Madam Mayor. I look forward to our chats each and every week. Yeah, thanks very much for making the time, and have a great weekend. You too. That is Calgary Mayor Jyoti Gondek. Calgary Transit and the network of Calgary Transit needs a bit of an overhaul. Uh, it's a, the aim of an article that's been written by The Sprawl, and Jeremy Clausis, the founder and editor-in-chief for The Sprawl, has an in-depth look at the transit system, where we are today, where we've been, and, and where we are going. So we're joined now by Jeremy uh, to give us some details of the article and, and some sort of a direction that uh, would be successful for the city, according to the article. Good morning to you, Jeremy. Morning, Andrew. Well, Thanks for having me on. Thank you for being here. Let, let's start from the start, and that is our transit system. I think everybody who's been on transit has some opinions of, of how it has been, and the pandemic may have thrown a wrinkle in and, and plans for the future. But uh, how would we give, can we give a grade to the Calgary transit system uh, compared to other Canadian cities? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think Calgary's transit system... Uh, struggles with many of the same things that, you know, other prairie cities struggle with. You know, a city like Edmonton is very similar, where you have a sprawling city um, that is continually expanding outward, rapidly growing population. And then you have this transit system that is expected to continually grow with the city. 
Uh, and in Calgary, what's happened is, you know, if you go back 15 years or so, um, city council and city hall came up with this plan for for the for the city's growth and for transit. Uh, what they wanted to do was create something called a primary transit network where buses and trains would come every 10 minutes. Uh, so this was supposed to be, you know, C trains, uh, BRT, the number three bus route on Center Street. Um, and the idea was, hey, we're going to have good transit like, you know, some of the other cities that people have been to where you just show up at a bus stop or you show up on the train platform and you go. But what's happened in Calgary is, number one, the economic downturn in 2015. Once that hit, you know, ridership took a serious hit, uh, particularly ridership going into downtown. And then uh, there have been cuts as well to transit while the city continues to grow outward. And then on top of that, you have the pandemic, of course. So, so that there's been a plan for this, and it was partially realized for a while where you did have sea trains, uh, you know, between 2011 and 2019, I believe it is. The sea train was coming every 10 minutes, um, but, but now this, this primary transit network has not, has not materialized the way it was supposed to. Hence your statement in the article saying that a lot of Calgarians are stuck at the bus stop waiting for a promise that has not arrived. So uh, what do we need to do? What do you think, in, in your view, the city needs to do to prioritize, to improve our primary transit network, improve ridership, and get things moving the way it was supposed to? That's the big question. The, the big tension uh, at City Hall right now around this question is, whether Calgary should have a coverage-based system. So that's where you're trying to, you know, cover, have a transit route everywhere in the city uh, and cover absolutely every nook and cranny, or whether you consolidate and focus on some major routes. And that's that's a very difficult question when you start looking at the implications, because if Calgary does focus on that primary transit network, uh, what it'll essentially mean is pulling back on some of the other coverage. So in it'll, it basically means cutting feeder routes in neighborhoods. So, you know, I, I, I use my own situation as an example. I, I used to have a, bu- a bus that took me right from my home in Renfrew to the University of Calgary, like one bus the whole way. But when the BRT was introduced on uh, on 16th Ave, the Max Orange, in 2018, it's like, okay, that's good. It's BRT. This is great. But what the city did was they stripped out uh, that, that feeder bus and changed the route. Uh, so now I have to walk 15 minutes to get on the BRT. And that's actually what Calgary Transit is talking about for the future, potentially, where people are walking further uh, to get to a bus route that'll take them where they want to go. And of course, this has implications, you know, for people with disabilities, mobility issues. So it's a very difficult question. I mean, Calgary's in this position where it's just, it's damn expensive to run transit mm-hmm. in a city like Calgary. Ongoing conversation and simply uh, one of those things that does impact all of us in, in one way or another. Thanks for your time, Jeremy. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks a lot. It's Jeremy Clausus, founder and editor-in-chief for The Sprawl. You can find out more about what they do at sprawlcalgary.com.
Such a tough discussion, right? I mean, transit, you need to upgrade. You need to be on the ball. Things need to get better as you go through. And then throw in a pandemic and really just mess things up. And it just seems that in this city, we've not figured out how to do transit very well. Here's the thing. We're we're running into issues that didn't use and it doesn't have anything it, it, the pandemic you know maybe you know pushed it a little further enlarged or put it, uh, these things under the microscope but i want to draw a parallel between transit and healthcare. 50 to me anyway there's always been you want to make sure that the nurses are taken care of and we can always have a better health care system i agree mm-hmm. but 15 20 years ago it didn't seem to be such an issue yeah there were some inner squabbles that seemed like at the top board of the a great ahs but now it's like well why can't we get health care right why can't we get transit mm. right? What is going on? And it's interesting because, you know, when we talk about throwing money at issues, they've come out and said to us, throwing money is not the, well, with, with healthcare, healthcare, for example, it's organization. It's right. rethinking things. And to a large extent, perhaps the same with Calgary Transit. I think politics gets in the way. I think too many yeah. cooks in the kitchen. Everybody's got their ego involved. Everybody wants their idea to be the one. And then a new group will come in and say, oh, wait a minute, we can make this better. And then they change it or slightly revamp it. And then you're back to the draw. It just never seems to move forward. Well, maybe two steps forward and five steps back kind of thing. That seems it? to be the case, doesn't it? And, and you know, I want to, I love the fact at first when I was young I, and I had images of I was I put it this way I'm a dinosaur I was here when the C train the C train had like six stops and it ended <laughs> at Anderson Road all the way to maybe the university and that was it Marlboro was a, the branch off into Franklin Station and great it was very small right but I was had these images watching movies in the 80s of, of subways where I was at the turnstiles and we didn't have that mm-hmm. and so I was just kind of weirded out on the honor system and you know I hate the 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 fact that we we might lose that. Especially, I think about when tourists come, and you know, they just can hop in and hop off, and it's not complicated. But I think that's great we, in the downtown core oh, that is free like that. Yeah, yeah, no, but I mean, like every station you walk in, there's no turnstiles. Yeah, you don't have to show a ticket. It is an honest, but we, that it's, it's unfortunate that might have just come to an end. It's a, just a weird system too. Like I, I mean, I grew up grew up in Toronto, right? So when you went downtown Toronto. You didn't drive, you took transit. You took the train, you took the bus, whatever. And that's how you got downtown and then kind of wandered around, did your thing, and Mm -hmm. then you went back to the suburbs on transit. And we don't really do that here. No, that's it's it's it's, it's just different. a different mentality, and it's different. I don't know. I'm not sure. I hey, I'm glad I'm not having to be the one that that makes all the decisions. But and it's also fine to poke holes. But I, you know, you always who stands out in the crowd? The person who raises their hand and says, "Here's a solution," right? Mm-hmm. Russia has released WNBA star Brittany Griner in a high-profile prisoner swap. Joining us with the details on this and the latest news south of the border is Jennifer Johnson, Global News Washington correspondent. Good morning to you, Jennifer. Good morning, Sue and Andy. Thanks for having me. Thank you for for being here. Well, you know, on uh, Thursday, Brittany Griner released in exchange for what they're calling the Merchant of Death. Uh, can you tell us about this prisoner exchange between the U.S. and Russia? And, uh, you know, is this considered a win? Well, I say I would say it is a win for the Biden administration. There's been a lot of pressure on them to get Brittany Griner out of Russia, especially because the last month she served in a pretty rough Russian penal Russian penal colony. Um, she is probably the most famous American that's ever been held in Russia. She's a two-time Olympic gold medalist, a UNBA star, and um, she's been there for almost ten months imprisoned in Russia on charges of carrying vape cartridges that had cannabis oil um, in a Moscow area airport. 
So, you know, there was a lot of pressure and a lot of press about Brittany Griner. Her wife has been very public, pleading for her release. And so, you know, the exchange was for a guy named Victor Boot, as you said. He's called the Merchant of Death. He's a notorious arms dealer. Russia wanted him back. He's been in American federal prison since 2010. Um, so I think that, that this was a good swap for the Biden administration. Certainly, uh, Victor Boot has served uh, quite a bit of his sentence. And, um, you know, they wanted to get Brittany Griner out. Is it really a good swap? Because I, and maybe it's different for Americans. I don't know, because I, all I've seen and heard here in Canada anyway is, really, we, we traded or Americans traded for a female athlete for a notorious arms dealer while a man like Paul Whelan sits in prison after getting six years for being accused of spying for or by Russia. It, it, I don't know. It just it seems to leave a bit of a bad taste, doesn't it? Or is there more to it than what we're realizing? Yeah. No, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, obviously, they're getting an arms dealer who caused, you know, by all the reports, thousands and thousands of deaths of innocent people um, for Brittany Griner. In terms of headlines, it looks good for the Biden administration to get her out of there, especially because I said, you know, the last month they put her in these, this very, very harsh penal colony. Um, and so I think the headlines look good. Dig a little deeper, you know. As you said, Victor Booth's a very, very bad guy, but he has been in prison since 2010, 2012, here in the United States. The Paul Whelan thing is a whole, you know, that is that too. His case has gotten into the headlines much more since Brittany Griner was put in custody in Russia. He's an ex-Marine. He was over in Russia. He's been accused and convicted of was accused and convicted of spying um, for the United States. He denies it. The U.S. denies it. The this word we're getting from Paul Whelan's Russia attorney is that negotiations are still ongoing to get him freed, and that his attorney in Russia believes that Paul Whelan will get out in the next month or two. Um, but Joe Biden spoke today, the president spoke today at the White House, and said the rules are completely different for getting Griner out versus Paul Whelan out, Russia's you know, being much more difficult about that. But um, they seem to indicate that, that Paul Whelan's um, release is imminent, too. Hmm. Jennifer, news coming down over the past handful of days that the Trump Organization convicted by a New York jury in a tax fraud screen, uh, scheme. Rather, How meaningful is this conviction, and, and what comes next? Will anything come of it? I mean, this is a company, you know, this is a Trump-owned company. Donald Trump himself was not charged with anything. The company was found guilty on 17 counts of tax fraud, buying executives fancy cars and fancy vacation homes and not paying taxes on them. You know, does this is just one more case against the surrounding Donald Trump that wasn't filed directly against him. Does it look bad? Yes. Was it a good conviction? Yes. Is it going to have any effect on Donald Trump? Probably not. Uh, but Donald Trump is looking, you know, he, he's not... He may not have a good 2023, if I could predict that. The Department of Justice is still looking at charges um, about the cases of him taking, you know, boxes and boxes of top-secret and classified documents to Mar-a-Lago. The January 6th committee is forwarding potential charges um, to the Department of Justice, um, you know, contending that he was involved in orchestrating the riot on the Capitol and also pressured uh, elections officials in places like Arizona and Georgia to try to overturn the election. So 
I believe charges will come out of that, and that'll be much more difficult for for Donald Trump personally rather than his company, the Trump Organization. Final note uh, on politics. Uh, Voters in Georgia heading to the polls. Despite the bad weather, they went. Senate Senate runoff race. Uh, It looks like Raphael Warnock defeating Herschel Walker, which I think a lot of people were thinking, how is that even close? But what does it all mean? How does it it kind of boil down? Well, you know, it's interesting because this is a bigger story than it just looks on paper. What what it appears is the Democrats won another Senate race. Is now they now have fifty a fifty one um, majority versus a fifty majority. Um, but you know, I say majority because Kamala Harris would break a tie. But the bigger picture of this is that that Georgia is a swing state, as is Pennsylvania in the presidential race. Those are big electoral vote states, and they almost always go Republican. Now you've had voters in those states vote for a Democratic and elect a Democratic senator in Pennsylvania and a Democratic senator in Georgia. And so it says that Democratic voters in in these two swing states are going to the polls. They are upset about certain issues, and they're willing to fight for the Democrats. Um, the, The race... You know, I guess people would say, well, the races shouldn't have been closed. It was Dr. Oz, the Republican in Pennsylvania, <laughs> and Herschel Walker in Georgia, which, I mean, I agree with you. How that was even closed is beyond me, how 85% of evangelical Christians could look the other way and vote for Herschel Walker after all the scandals. But it, it does say something about what could possibly happen in the 2024 presidential election. Yeah, it will be very interesting as we move ahead. Uh, thanks so much for your time, and have a great weekend, Jennifer. Thanks, guys. You too. Have a great weekend. Thanks. It's Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington correspondent. The Hyatt's downtown Calgary, they have kicked off their Spirit of Giving campaign. They're asking guests and the local community to give joy and help fulfill some wishes through charitable donations through the holidays and showing off the true spirit of Christmas. Joining us with all the details is John O'Connell, General Manager of the Hyatt Regency Calgary. Good morning, John. Hey, good morning, Sue. Thanks for having us on this morning. Well, a pleasure to have you on. I know you guys, you do a ton in the community. You and your team are fantastic. So tell us what you're up to uh, through the Hyatt and what you're doing for the community for the holidays. So our spirit of giving uh, that we're doing this year, it's really the first year that we're doing it. And we've always done something around the holidays. But this year, we wanted to find a way that we could uh, meaningfully impact a number of organizations within the community. Um, So we started with our colleagues, and we really asked everyone that works at the Hyatt what's really personal and what causes are they connected to. And then from there, we came up with five different organizations. So the Spirit of Giving runs for a full five weeks. We kicked it off uh, a little over a week ago. And each week, we're highlighting a different partner foundation. All right. So you've got these foundations, you've got the staff engaged and ready to go. And again, you mentioned kicked off on November 27th. So what, what, what do people need to know if they're popping by? How can we help out? Well, uh, obviously, this drive works for both our colleagues to donate as well as anyone within the community. Being com- involved in the community is really important for Hyatt. So um, this year, uh, the five foundations that we partnered with were spotlighting one each week but anyone can donate to any of the foundations during the, the five weeks. We're located downtown, the Hyatt Regency, so we're a convenient drop-off site for any of those donations. And we're doing something fun, too, that anybody uh, from the community that comes in and can just drop off something at our front desk at any time, just pull up, and it's very easy to donate. Uh, if you donate from our community,
community. We're uh, putting you in a drawing for a Sunday brunch for two at our Thompson's Kitchen and Bar as well as a token of appreciation. Fantastic. I'll let everybody know, Take Me Home Toys, Seniors Secret Service, Heaven Can Wait Animal Rescue, Alpha House Society, and Threads That Thrive are your five partner foundations this time out. Why is it important for you and your team to give back? Well, you know, for Hyatt, it's always been important to be closely involved in the communities where both our guests and our colleagues live, work, and play. So this is our way to be involved with the community and really support um, these different foundations. And as we looked at who we could support, we really focused on some uh, foundations that were either startups or they've really remained small. So we're hoping that this campaign also brings some light to those organizations and makes people more aware uh, that they're out there. John, thanks so much for telling us all about it. We appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thanks. You guys have a great day. You too. John O'Connell, General Manager, the Hyatt Regency Calgary. More online at Hyatt.com. And as he mentioned, you can pop on by 700 Center Street South. The beauty of it is it's right, the C-train's right there. Mm -hmm. Hyatt Calgary, 700 Center Street South.